What's up, founders, and welcome back to the In Demand podcast, where we talk all about how to reach your very first 1 million in ARR. I'm your host, Asia Arangio, and I'm the founder of Demand Maven, where we work with early stage SaaS companies on reaching their very first growth milestones. Let's do this. All right, so today we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics. And this is actually going to be a little bit of a mini series, which I'm, I'm pretty stoked about. But we are going to talk about analytics and attribution for the next three episodes. So if you were really craving and hoping for a breakdown of analytics and attribution, congratulations, it's your lucky day. We are going to start a very quick mini series, if you will. So I'm not going to spend the whole season on this. Uh, not that I've even formalized seasons per se, but we're going to really break down a few really key core concepts when it comes to, again, analytics and attribution. And when I talk about these two things, I will be talking about them primarily from a marketing and overall growth perspective. We'll also be breaking down how to just get started with this kind of stuff and how to be thinking about it. What's the right mindset when it comes to approaching analytics attribution. I know a lot of founders get overwhelmed and I'm here to demystify that. So in today's episode, we are going to chat all about how to just think about this stuff because we really got to set the mindset and set the baseline. It's really easy to get overwhelmed. It's really easy to get distracted and to dive deep into certain things that maybe don't necessarily ultimately help us move the needle. So we're really just going to set some baselines today. Analytics and attribution are probably one of the most frustrating elements of growth. And it is hands down the most critical elements of growth. There's a really common saying, I'm not gonna remember who said it. But one of the quotes that always comes to mind is we cannot improve what we cannot measure. We cannot improve what we cannot measure. It's the same with Um, really anything in life that we want to be able to improve, but especially with things like weight loss or with improving your um, mile time on a 5K. So maybe your mile intervals. We simply cannot improve anything if we're not measuring it. We cannot improve what we cannot measure. And yet this, this idea, this mindset is so critical to how we think about SaaS and how we think about growth. And it's also kind of interesting because I, I think I think when it comes to a mark like marketing in general, I think a lot of founders, some of them at least, have this mindset that marketing is just a whole lot of art. It's a whole lot of creativity, and it's not a whole lot of science. And I always come right back, and I'm like, oh my god, if I if I didn't have if I didn't have analytics or attribution, I don't know how I would do my job. <laughs> I just don't even know how. Um, it's it's really it's really not magic. There are things about it that are certainly magical, and I think that there's really beautiful, creative, wonderful aspects to marketing that I don't think anyone can really ever truly quantify. But there's also, when it comes to SaaS at least, the very blunt reality of, well, we are we are all on the internet, and for the most part, a lot of things about the internet are pretty measurable. If you are behind when it comes to analytics and attribution. Consider this a kick in the right direction. Consider this a little bit of motivation, a little bit of a push to to get some of these things into motion and into gear because you are going to need them just in general. And then of course, when it comes to thinking about marketing and planning for marketing, 
especially if you ever, for whatever reason, uh, if you if you ever decide to uh, invest in a marketing team, work with me even, whatever it is that you decide to do, again, for whatever number, various reasons, you're going to need this. And you're definitely going to need this mindset because you're going to want to be able to have really smart conversations with the person that you're working with on that marketing or on that growth front. So consider this again in that, that, that kick in the right direction. But the I think the best part about analytics and attribution, however, is that you really don't have to have this like extremely complicated setup, right? Like you don't need to have, at least in the early days, this like really intense like database that pipes data like into five different places. And you've got these like really complex algorithms that like figure out exactly what it is that you've got to do. Now, don't get me wrong, that's probably a future state that you'll have as you grow and as you get much more mature in your business and as you get thousands of customers and not just hundreds of customers. But in the early days, when you're just starting out, you really just need enough to to be dangerous. And then, of course, you need enough to get learning and get insight and implement those insights. Nine times out of ten, when it comes to analytics attribution, I'm usually not working with anything fancier. And this is this is really from like a company perspective. So my clients were really not working with anything fancier than Google Analytics. It's probably going to shock a lot of you. Maybe we've got some spreadsheets for some dashboards. And then, of course, anything subscription metrics-wise, so ChartMogul, ProfitWell, Parametrics, et cetera. And then usually extremely encouraged, but not always required, product analytics. So this, I would, I would actually put full story into this bucket as well, but this includes Heap, Mixed Panel, Amplitude. Usually that's our, our beginning set, if you will. That's our beginning stack. There's no wrong or right tool here. I would say when it comes to anything from a growth perspective, I almost always recommend Google Analytics over something like a Fathom, at least for today. I'm sure Fathom will eventually catch up in some respects. But if you're doing paid acquisition, you're going to want something like Google Analytics. You can, of course, keep that private. Um, What I mean by that is you can certainly cloak IPs and things like that. So there's ways to make it much more... um, uh, privacy and uh, consent-based in general. But that said, that's really the stack. You can start pretty simply. And most of these tools don't cost a ton of money. And I think Google Analytics, at least for the most part, is free up until uh, up to a certain scale, which I'd be shocked if you ever like reached that because I think it's like something ridiculous. And then of course, you know, spreadsheets and dashboards, it's pretty easy to do inside of Google Sheets, free. Uh, and then whatever you might pay for Charmocal, ProfitWell, Parametrics, and and then so on for product analytics. So pretty simple. More than anything, it requires time. I think that's the biggest thing. It just requires a little bit of time. There's really three kinds of analytics platforms. I've I've mentioned them already, but there's really three kinds. I put them into three buckets, and there's like a fourth bucket that's kind of like everything else. Uh, but the first three are you there's likely something from a business analytics or subscription metrics perspective that you're leveraging. Stripe is probably the most basic version, uh, it's the most basic, uh, yeah, I would say version of that kind of platform. So I think if you use Stripe from a payment processing perspective, especially from a SaaS perspective, it will give you some very baseline analytics metrics about your MRR, about the customers that you have, so on and so forth. But this also includes tools like Bear Metrics, ChartMogul, ProfitWell, etc. There's others that I can't even think of right now off the top of my head, but those are the those are the main three that I've seen at least across different businesses. 
These applications will really, again, they'll just measure that overall SaaS business performance and also growth over time. They cover the basics like MRR, or monthly recurring revenue, ARR, annual recurring revenue, uh, average revenue per user, lifetime value of a customer. And then, of course, depending on the configuration, they might have net new free trials, conversion rates from that free trial to the paying customer, uh, just the number of customers that you have, cohorts, and churn over time. And then, of course, the more intense platforms, I find, are able to give you cohort information, but for specific plans, for very specific customer segments that you get to configure and define yourself. And those are really, really awesome from a marketing perspective, because it, it gives us a very clear, candid view of what the retention rate looks like for really specific customer segments. I actually think all of the tools I've mentioned can do that, except for maybe Stripe, out of the box at least. But this is the first, probably more common kind of analytics platform for a SaaS company. Next, we get into product analytics. And again, I mentioned these already, but this includes the amplitude mix panel heaps of the world. I do include full story into this because it does give you analytics on the qualitative side in addition to the quantitative side. But these applications measure that product related and sometimes marketing related activities and milestones. So for example, understanding what features uh, are more likely to generate a paying customer is something that a product analytics platform could handle. It could also handle measuring onboarding activities and just other in-app product events. So for example, if you've got a sign-up funnel that you would like to measure how customers or prospects progress through every single stage of that funnel, a product analytics tool would be able to handle that pretty well. We also get into other um, just types of data that we're able to access from a product analytics perspective. So most platforms in general are going to give you quantitative data. That's why in some ways we kind of call it analytics. But there's also the qualitative side. I mentioned full story falls into this category because it does give you qualitative analytics or qualitative data. It enables you to see the behavior, at least with as, as many privacy um, settings and things enabled to, of course, protect the identity or protect specific information that they're entering into the product. Um, so sensitive data, you know, put put that aside. So that is, for the most part, handled, I would say, relatively well. But Full Story is able to tell you exactly what those behaviors are inside of the product. So if, if someone is lost, if there is a bug or something that happens inside of the product, you'd actually be able to see it in that user's session. And I believe also based off of your configuration, you can tier it up also into a customer profile. So you'd actually be able to see exactly which customer. I do think, however, full story, Hotjar, I think is also kind of into this as well. Um, but they do, this isn't the right word, but I, bl I believe that they hash or they blur any sensitive data. Usually this involves any numbers that they're entering. So for example, if you've got um, a product that has the customer enter any kind of information that might be sensitive, it automatically blocks that out and like blurs it. So you, you're not able to see it or people you know watching the account aren't able to see that kind of information. So I think it does handle this pretty well. Finally, we get into digital marketing analytics. And this is where it really gets expansive really fast because marketing as a practice, I'm sure as you know, has many different functions and sub practices. So I, I would consider marketing as a function of the business. 
But there's so many different just sub functions and sub practices inside of marketing. What I mean by that is there's content marketing, there's product marketing, there's social media, there's paid acquisition, paid advertising, that kind of thing. Pretty much for every single one of those, there's some kind of analytics tool. And sometimes it's really specific to the product or the platform itself. So it's almost like, a, well, we're going to provide you some analytics on how our product or our platform handles something. For example, there's Google Analytics. I think we're mostly familiar with that. Google Analytics helps you measure web activity or traffic activity on various types of properties. The most basic one is going to be the website, but then there's also measuring activity on your application or other different kinds of properties that you can you know, technically measure. But then we also have Facebook, advertise, uh, Facebook advertisements, uh, Facebook ads as a platform, for example, or Google ads as a platform. Google ads comes with its own analytics platform. Same thing for Facebook. So you can actually measure exactly how each of those are performing. Then we get into email marketing and marketing automation and pretty much every single kind of product that you can imagine. Nine times out of 10, they've got some kind of analytics associated with it. And it's not surprising. Marketing is probably the department that is under the most scrutinization when it comes to measurement and performance. And then, of course, improving that that performance. And at the same exact time, it 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 helps communicate the value of the product itself. So if we couldn't measure, for example, how well Facebook ads performed, I can't imagine that it would have been around for as long. <laughs> but, but those are the kinds of analytics platforms that we get into. So there are some that are standalone that you pipe data into, and then there are others that really come with a channel or a particular kind of marketing tool or marketing practice. These applications ultimately do measure a variety of digital marketing activities. They go from website traffic to funnel performance, to channel performance, to qualitative insights. I mean, it really runs the gamut. I'd say Google Analytics is probably the most popular one to start with because it does measure the website. But again, this can go in so many different directions, especially if they have really strong customization capabilities. The more complex your query, the more effort required to join certain data systems or the more expensive the platform in general when it comes to any kind of marketing analytics or even attribution. The fourth bucket, and this was the one that I kind of mentioned earlier, I was like, this is kind of like the catch-all. <laughs> but there's there's so many different other kinds of analytics just outside of marketing, right? So there's sales CRMs that track and measure sales performance. There are technically like customer success and customer support platforms as well that can help measure performance over time. So I would put maybe like a intercom or um, intercom is more live chat and support in that way. But if you were to look at more like of a pure support tool, like um, Zendesk or Help Scout or something like that, there's probably some form of analytics there as well. So how many tickets do we have open? That kind of thing. And I'm sure in engineering and development uh, functions, there's all kinds of analytics platforms just around shipping certain features and the time it takes to do that, especially if you're measuring performance around um, agile scrum. So, you know, how many scrum points, you know, that kind of thing. This really runs the gamut from there. But I, I would say from a from a baseline perspective, the first three, so business analytics or subscription metrics, product analytics, and then digital marketing analytics, those are likely the top three that you'll be interfacing with at any given time from a marketing perspective, and then of course from an ultimate growth perspective. I find more often than not, when it comes to SaaS, you're definitely gonna need a combination of all of these to 
just have a strong understanding of not just marketing performance, but actual growth and business performance. You really need all three, or at least some combination of all three. There is no one perfect stack, I will say that. So I worked with companies that have had different tools in all of these different areas. As long as you're able to have confidence that the numbers that you're seeing are relatively accurate, then that's really all that matters. And also that we are able to ultimately answer some really specific questions, which we're going to get into actually in just a second. But the reality is that you're not just here for analytics, you're here for attribution too. Which I'm not going to lie, this is like one of the most frustrating things and uh, just (laughs) grounding things when it comes to marketing in general and really any growth activity. But it's also, it's considered the holy grail of analytics efforts. I don't know a single founder who doesn't want to know. I want to know exactly what kind of dollar value I'm getting out of what I'm putting in. Everyone wants to know the ROI. And attribution really just means that we're analyzing the channels and marketing activities that generate paying customers. As we dig deeper into attribution, you'll inevitably hear terms like ROI. So what I just mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, I want to know the exact return on investment of, you know, one particular channel or really of any growth activity. So um, let's say we want to know the ROI of launching a feature or uh, promoting the blog or starting a blog or starting a podcast. And then, of course, you're also going to hear when it comes to attribution, at least uh, the term CAC or acronym CAC, I guess is technically CAC means customer acquisition cost. So what is the cost to acquire a customer? Even still, however, there's a few myths we need to debunk about analytics and attribution so we can approach it with this more grounded mindset. Again, this this first episode this is all about how to think about this stuff, just how to think about it. And, and this is really going to be the thing that helps you get the most value out of analytics and attribution. And at the same exact time, it's also going to release a few things and hopefully release a, bit, a little bit of angst when it comes to this kind of stuff, because I know it's overwhelming. It's certainly overwhelming if you're brand new to it. There's definitely some things, though, there's some truths that uh, and some wisdom that we can certainly unpack here today, though. And, and again, I think that these things will help whenever it comes to really approaching it, even in the first place. I've got, I've got five things to cover here, and we'll, we'll try to go through them relatively quickly. But the first is to expect variance between platforms. This is, again, one of the most frustrating things about analytics and attribution, but it's pretty much inevitable. In fact, it's guaranteed. You'll see one number in Google Analytics, a different number in Amplitude, and yet even a different number inside of Facebook ads, and finally, a different number in Intercom. It just never fails. It's it, it's um, on the one hand expected at this point, and on the other hand, it definitely can, can point to some inconsistencies and maybe some uh, implementation or installation issues. But for the most part, there's going to be some variance. I think all the way up and t- up to maybe 15% variance in any given direction. No two platforms measure anything quite the same. And with that means that we just naturally expect slightly different numbers. Um, be careful not to get too hung up on slightly different numbers. So, you know, it's not exactly 18, it should be 15 or, you know, what have you. That kind of thing is a giant waste of time. Just focus on patterns. Patterns are your absolute best friend here. 
Um, but sometimes even revenue is like not exactly correct. Like you see one number in Stripe and you see a slightly different number in ProfitWell. I don't know why, but there's just something about it. Unless it's like thousands and thousands of dollars of MRR or hundreds even, then maybe something to unpack and dig deeper. But if it's like a couple of dollars off or maybe like $10 off, that's so normal. It's it's like sometimes it just just happens that way. Depending on the platform that you use, but sometimes like even your free trial conversion rate or the number of net new customers, uh, that might look a little bit different depending on the platform that you're asking. Even across different kinds of subscription metric platforms, you see one kind of number in one platform versus another in a different one. And again, this this could be because of errors. So if you see very large difference, just differences could be because of the way that certain codes or things were installed. So this might actually be a really good excuse to kind of just double check your implementation here. But if you're seeing really small variances, so normal. It's just something to expect. You might be violently like, yep, okay, awesome, got it. <laughs> and yet, just be careful about especially when you're looking at marketing numbers, just be careful about that kind of thing too. It's it's one thing to kind of, you know, forgive like, okay, yeah, like our subscription metrics platform, like, yeah, it's going to be weird and different just depending on what we're using and how we've got it installed. But sometimes we don't carry that same level of patience over to even just like what we see in digital marketing. And I'm not certain, you know, where that, why that happens. And, and maybe it is because we kind of hope that this is a little bit stronger, or better than maybe other platforms. But the truth is that everything measures everything differently. We're just going to see different numbers. And more than anything, patterns, like I said, look for patterns. Don't necessarily get hung up on the exact number. Get hung up on the pattern. Did we see lifts and increases and some of the same kinds of things over and over and over again? Um, not so much the exact number. And and I find that that just, again, it just releases a lot of the, this needs to be a perfect implementation. And it focuses much more on the, what was the pattern over time? The second one is actually something that I learned from Conversion Excel, so cxl.com. And I actually learned this from Pep himself. But he he basically said to expect variance on any given day or week. There's this really common misconception that analytics should be this perfectly predictable thing that we experience and that we're able to see. And that there really isn't any difference between our days and our weeks. Maybe we see some drop off on the weekend, but for the most part, if it's not steadily increasing, if it's fluctuating all over the place, well, the fluctuations are unacceptable. And the reality is that there's a variance on any day or week and sometimes month. And that's just because of natural human behavior. And this was something that was kind of, it was actually really hard for me to internalize in the, like in the earlier parts of my career. But there's also just variance based off of industry and based off of market and human behavior. Um, there can be a 12 to, I think, 20% variance above or below the weekly or even monthly traffic that you saw from weeks or months prior. And especially day to day, it fluctuates greatly, especially in the early days and especially for early stage SaaS. What was so interesting about this for me, at least personally, was that it's very possible to get lost in, oh my God, our traffic was down and it was down like, you know, 30% this last week, but also not really realizing that like, oh, but the next week it could be up, it could be up like 60%. Like there's just really, there's not really any predicting, but what there is, however, is again, focusing on 
focus on your activities. And over time, over the long term, and I say long longer term, it's really much more accurate. Look at monthly changes. Because on a day-to-day and a week-by-week basis, it's very unlikely that one investment that you make is going to net in this like immediately positive result. I'll never forget, I was having a conversation with a founder once and um, we made some changes or I suggested some changes to make to the website. And the next day he was like, Asia, our traffic was down. Every, you know, n- We didn't get as many conversions. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> you're going to see variants for days, weeks, and months. And it's actually going to be really... It's not going to be as instantaneous as you think. Um, We can make a change today, but for that to actually net into a result that we can reasonably measure, we're going to need much more statistical relevance than one day and also much more traffic for us to know if that was truly a positive change or not. And that's just the reality of it. Granted, if you have millions of visits a month, then it's very likely that we can make a change and probably see a positive result by the end of the day even. But if we don't necessarily have millions of visits a month, if we've got like maybe a couple hundred visits a month, then one change to the website does not exactly guarantee an immediate lift in a result. Not always. Usually it's a combination of things. But that said, um, expect variance on any given day or week. Measure, I recommend at least, measuring progress on a monthly basis. You can absolutely take a look at weekly progress, but there's just such a strong chance that you're going to see variance no matter what. And any changes that you make or things that you try that are new and different, you're probably not going to really know if that was performed well or not and if that lifted anything for you for quite some time. And that's just purely because you need enough data. You need enough statistical volume for it to be relevant. The third thing. And this one is a really interesting mindset, but it, it is so, it's so common. <laughs> and it's that it is a, when it comes to analytics and attribution, it is never a forever stasis, meaning you're not just stuck with these numbers for forever. They can actually be impacted. It takes time. It takes diversity of investment, but it certainly can be changed. On top of um, on top of that, just because, I mean, like I said, like just because things suck now doesn't mean it'll always suck. Um, psychologically, analytics can sometimes feel daunting because it paints this picture of where you're at on your journey. And for some people, that's really energizing because it's like, oh, oh like I know I can improve this. I know, like I know my own personal power. I know my own capabilities. I'm really confident in my ability to change this or to impact this positively. And that's really energizing for some people. And for others, it's actually really draining. It's like, oh my God, this, you know, this number is terrible. And like, I'm not excited about this number and I, I'm not confident in my ability to impact it. And, and that can be a really draining process for, for some people. It's really important to remember that founders and their teams who consistently track their goals and their KPIs are much more likely to reach their goals. I think I read this study somewhere someone said this to me or maybe i read this from from like an article i should really you know keep track of where i hear these notes but there was a note actually i think i i think it was from forget the funnel i think this might have been gia who mentioned this but i believe that it was said that marketers marketers who simply just measure their goals they just simply track them they're able to track these numbers they're three times more likely to reach their goals 
than if they had never measured or tracked them at all. And I think that this was also in direct correlation too with OKRs. But but this was this was so shocking to me that that marketing teams or growth teams who don't ultimately measure things in any kind of meaningful way at least, they're not as likely to reach their goals at the end of the day. So this is why that measurement is so critical. But it's also really important to remember that it's not going to be for forever. What you see now, it's not necessarily going to be the exact same thing that you see six six months from now. Maybe not quite so much, honestly, like really even on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis, it's not going to be the same exact thing. But in terms of making positive, uh, lasting change, what you see now, it is not for forever. So if you're not super happy with where you're at and it does not energize you, at least today, just remember, it's not going to be for forever. And measuring everything now and overcoming this hurdle now is a positive change. It is a good thing. It's a very good thing we're doing. (laughs) Number four, I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, and it has a little bit to do with, you guessed it, silver bullets. But one activity, one, let's say, just like marketing or growth investment or activity, one thing that you've done, one thing that you've crossed off the list, does not automatically generate a positive result. This is one of those things that's like really, really, really hard to internalize and to just accept and to just know. But the truth, again, is that if that's the mindset that you're under, you're operating under the silver bullet mindset of I'm going to do this one thing and it's going to be the silver bullet and it's going to solve the problem. But the reality is that there's actually many different investments that all contribute to success over time. And also it takes actual time for that to net into a positive result. The reason why I think that this concept is so common of, oh, I I did this one thing, but it didn't immediately turn into this, is because at the end of the day, analytics, attribution, all that stuff, it measures some aspect of human behavior, which means it's measuring, or at least, you know, in some cases, it could be bots. But that, but that does mean that if it's measuring certain aspects of behavior, well, the next step after that in, in my little um, my little prompt here, as well, it's measuring something about humans. Well, if we're measuring something about humans, then we have to know that this is going to be naturally unpredictable to an extent. There are some things that are a little bit predictable, but we have to remember that if we're measuring human behavior in some kind of way, we don't always have control over those humans. We don't control those humans. We don't control that behavior. We can positively influence that behavior. We can impact it. We can do things that impact behavior, but we never, ever, ever control people. It's impossible unless, of course, you do actually physically control them, but even then, pretty impossible. Um, So something to remember is that just because you do X, it doesn't mean that and, and and you're human A. So if I'm human A and I'm I'm doing X, it doesn't always necessarily mean that human B is also going to do Y. It's possible that human B does F and G and J and L first. <laughs> and then maybe they do Y. But if I'm over here, oh I'm I'm gonna go do X and it impacts Y. 
Well, again, we still have this other customer here. They might notice and they might not. It just really depends, uh, again, on what it is, what change we're making. There are some things that we can do that will directly impact how human B or human C or certain customer segments or people react and behave and do certain things. But it's very unlikely that one activity that we've done has just dramatically changed the performance of something else and also the behavior of another person. Again, there's really specific scenarios where, you know, that actually is the case. Like we can pretty confidently say that like, yep, making this change netted out this result. But one thing I've learned from conversion rate optimization, I will say I am not a CRO expert from what, but from what I have learned, it is that it's so rare that it's just one thing that we've done that's netted that positive result. It's usually a combination of things, at least in the early days. As we get much more mature, as we get more data, as we grow in volume, it becomes a little bit, uh, I actually think it, you know, actually I don't know if, you know, if Pep would agree with this or not, but from what I understand, um, it, it really becomes more that we are confident that certain things have netted out certain results, especially with go-to-market efforts, that, that misconception, that one activity will generate this immediate positive result and it will continue to produce for forever. It's, it is a very common thought. It's a very common misconception. It's a very common mindset. And it's one that I so wish I could reverse. But, you know, unfortunately, um, I guess maybe fortunately, you know, it's part of the reason why I have this episode today. But also, it's so really the audience knows. So you, dear listener, you're someone who who is now enlightened a little bit that, oh, no, it's actually really a combination of activities. It's not just like the one thing. And to go looking for that inside of analytics or attribution, uh, it's something that ultimately needs time to really suss out if something was successful or not. Um, a really common example is, uh, well, we had that one article that got featured on TechCrunch or that one press release that resulted in viral traffic and adoption. And while I agree that there probably was that one activity that was done that certainly generated a lot of traffic or momentum, but it would be foolish to think that it also had nothing else to do with the strength of the product, of how well the marketing site looked or was or felt, how strong the customer experience was. Like we can't necessarily discount all the other things that have impacted such a positive uh, or netted or yes, I- impact that positive result. So very rare that you can just like get featured on TechCrunch. And like, that's it. Like, if you could totally do that. But if you didn't have a great product, then you wouldn't have anything, right? Um, so this is kind of where we get into that, you know, does one activity really automatically generate the result? Or was it actually the combination of all these things? I usually encourage marketing systems when it comes to remedying this concept of like, oh, I just got to do like that one thing and that'll that'll be the silver bullet. If if you if you're someone who falls prey to that, or if you if you get stuck in that cycle quite a lot, and you end up going to analytics attribution, you're kind of like figuring out like, well, did that one thing work? Um, usually, I recommend focus on implementing marketing systems. Marketing systems are the investments or practices that you would implement that generate consistent results, as opposed to big giant spikes and then flatlining after that. So this is where we get into content marketing. This is where we get into SEO, organic search. These are things that have consistent uh, results because people are constantly searching for something. This is also where we get into potentially paid acquisition. This is where we get into various kinds of content marketing. Uh, I think I mentioned that earlier, but uh, we can also get into product marketing here as well. So what is consistent? What is consistent that you are doing that helps generate momentum? 
All right, finally, we get into the very last concept or idea <laughs> to unpack. Uh, and this one, this one's very, oh gosh, this is like really philosophical, uh, philosophical and very meta. So I apologize. But this is this is such a critical thing to know and understand about analytics and how it works, that if you if you don't internalize this, you might come at analytics and attribution with really high hopes and then end up being really disappointed after. Analytics and attribution, it cannot measure thoughts. It can't measure thoughts. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, like, um, cool. <laughs> like, that's kind of obvious. But but here's where the converse of that, let's pretend that it can measure thoughts. This is where the converse of that actually shows up all the time and how we think about analytics and what it can ultimately do. I'll give you a scenario. Imagine I'm running a campaign. I'm running a marketing campaign. Let's say I'm doing Facebook ads or uh, Google ads, what have you, whatever. I'm running this campaign and I'm putting people to the website. Uh, you know, they, they click on an ad, they come to the website, and then from there they are encouraged to sign up for the free trial. If, if we believe this, if we believe this concept, sometimes um, we, we might be measuring this funnel and we'll make brash assumptions based off of this, based off of what we're seeing from the data side. So we're seeing, you know, they, oh yeah, they clicked through and um, yep, they land on the page and they bounced immediately. And the inference or the observation that we can make was, oh, okay, well, overall, click-through rates were healthy, you know, that, that kind of thing might have been fine. But when they got to the when they got to the homepage or whatever landing page it was that we put them on, they bounced immediately. Um, and you might be thinking, oh my gosh, they thought that we were trash. <laughs> they, they like hated us. And that's an assumption that we've inferred. It is not quite so much the observation, however, to be sciencey on you. Sometimes we actually do believe that analytics can tell us thoughts. And the truth is that the only person who can tell us their thoughts is the actual person. Like the only thing that can tell you what someone is thinking is the someone. <laughs> so sometimes we look at analytics and we assume that it's measured someone's thoughts or that it's measured someone's experience. Now, I, I will say, hot jar and full story, sometimes we can fall prey to this, but there's also ways to use those tools that gets us closer to what the thought probably was, or at least we can label it in some kind of way, but we might not ever really know what the thought actually was. So for example, we can't necessarily assume that someone thought that our landing page was trash just based off of one thing. But what we can say is, but it happened. And it wasn't at a very high rate that we would have probably expected it to be. But we can't necessarily say, oh, they thought it was trash. Now, you know, to be fair, we probably can make some assumptions around, okay, well, they didn't immediately convert. So it's, it's, a, it's a number of scenarios here now that we're looking at. But the only person who can ultimately tell you what they were actually thinking as they were going through the process of signing up or going through a campaign or whatever is them. So, so we have to remember that analytics, it's going to be really, really, really great at doing the quantitative stuff, but it's not going to be so great at doing the mindset stuff. It's not going to be so great at doing the qualitative stuff. This is why customer research is still absolutely critical. This is why prospect research is absolutely critical. Customer discovery, customer development, all those things, we need those to not just run effective campaigns, but just 
build really great businesses from the get-go because they're not necessarily going to tell you exactly what someone thought. Churn is actually a really interesting concept here too, because we, we can, for the most part, tell what someone thought, at least when it comes to when someone cancels or churns. It's like, oh, you guys weren't, you know, what I wanted. We can, we can make that assumption. But where the assumption gets nuanced is, well, what if, what if they were churning, but it was because they weren't the best customer? What if they churned for other reasons? Um, maybe they had a terrible customer support experience or something Something happened that caused this, this churn. And the ultimate result that we are measuring is the cancellation. Well, we can make that assumption. Obviously, this product was not. There was, there was something about us, the brand, you know, something that no longer fit the bill. But we can't necessarily assume that. So that's why we try to collect a churn reason or a cancellation reason. Okay, but why are you canceling? Whenever you talk to an ex-customer about why they cancel, you'll hear all kinds of different responses. And you'll find that analytics did a really great job of measuring the cancellation. It measured the action really well, but it doesn't necessarily always tell us exactly what that person was thinking. And there are some obvious you know, examples of this. Clearly, when someone cancels, they, they very also clearly don't find value in the product anymore or... It's something that, um, you know, it's a it's a really nuanced <laughs> kind of thing. But but also at the same exact time, we usually don't know exactly why they canceled. We just know that they did. And we also know that there was clearly something about the product, the team, something. Something was off. And we can make that assumption. But we cannot necessarily just assume that analytics could measure the thought too. So be careful. Be careful about looking at analytics, and measuring people's thoughts. It cannot measure thoughts. The only thing that can measure a thought, the only person or thing that can tell you what that thought was, was the person themselves, which is why customer research is so critical. Do it, (laughs) please. There's a number of other examples of this. And, you know, I, I could I could continue on and, like, you know, continue waxing poetic about let's talk about some other scenarios where we we try to give analytics a bigger job of measuring people's thoughts. <laughs> Bounce rate is one of the ones that I mentioned. Um, but but there's also let's see, there's also, um, you know, free trial conversion rate, abandonment rate, sign up rate. These are these are things where people drop out of funnels and we don't always know why. We know that it happened. And analytics does a really good job of measuring what the exact action was, but it doesn't necessarily always tell you why or what the, what were the thoughts behind it. If we find ourselves labeling those things with thoughts, um, then we're kind of subscribing to we're making assumptions. And that's a, that's usually a dangerous place to be in. We we can have theories and those theories are absolutely valid to have. I'm not saying that you should not make assumptions or you should not infer what you think um, something contributed or, or um, w- like why you think something might have happened. But it's just really important to know that it's not going to be a fact. It's not a fact until, of course, you talk to enough customers or maybe the customer. And then it becomes much more illuminated and highlighted in truth. But until then, again, it's okay to have inferences or hunches or um, have a hypothesis about why you think something happened. But when you get to a place to where you start assuming that every time and never really unpacking the different options and never confirming them, that's where it can get really dangerous. And then you can start, you can start blindly following analytics 
without ever really understanding why and where those thoughts come from. And, and not just like, I'm sorry, I said thoughts, but why, like, where do those hypotheses come from and which ones are truth? That's where that's where we take analytics a step extra. And that's where we start taking the insights that we get from them and the indicators that we get from them. And you can think of analytics as flying a flag, but it's not necessarily going to tell you what's on the flag. It's just going to say, hey, this, this bounce rate, probably higher than what you wanted. Or, um, you know, this churn rate, kind of high this month. But it's not necessarily going to tell you why. Your job is to figure out the why and then apply that. That's really where analytics helps us. Again, it's not going to be the best thing at telling you what people are thinking. The only person who can tell you that is the person themselves. So keep that in mind. Okay, so just to recap, expect variance between platforms. Not every platform is going to measure everything absolutely perfectly. Just the name of the game. I wish it was better, but you know, maybe that's a future project for someone. Expect variance on any given day or the week. Uh, If you are addicted to checking analytics every day or every week, um, expect that 12 to 20% variance on any given week. I recommend checking it monthly and tracking it monthly, but expect that variance on any given day of the week. Know that it is not forever. Analytics, the the numbers that you see today, it's not going to be what you see tomorrow, literally, but also figuratively. It's not going to be forever. And that can energize you and that can also stress you out. If it stresses you out, just remember that the investments that you make, if they're the right investments, then we can expect to have positive change over time, as long as they're, they're, right, they're the right investments. One activity doesn't necessarily generate an automatic positive result. So be careful about looking for silver bullets. Be careful about hinging expectation and hoping to see it reflected in analytics the next day or the next week or the next month. There are some scenarios where we can do that. We can confidently say, okay, yes, that one activity did generate that positive result, but it's very rare in the early days. Find it's usually a combination of investments, not just one thing, mostly because the engine isn't always firing on all cylinders. We've talked about this in a previous episode, but that said, uh, one activity doesn't always just generate this positive result automatically. So be careful if you're falling under the, oh, it's this silver bullet or, oh, it's this silver bullet, because that's very dangerous thinking. It can it can get you, one, burnt out, but two, not actually get you the results that you're looking for. And you end up wasting a lot of time, energy and money. And then finally, analytics cannot measure thoughts. So be careful about looking at what you're seeing from an analytics perspective and automatically assuming what and why it actually happened. Analytics does a great job of raising flags. It does a really great job of telling you what happened, but it doesn't necessarily tell you why it happened. So just be careful about assuming and um, assuming that you know the why behind it. Remember, the only person who can tell you why is the person themselves. That's why customer research is still critical to to le- to um, you know giving some insight or some you know back knowledge to what you're seeing from an analytical perspective. Okay, thank you so much for joining me on this very first part of this analytics breakdown and attribution. Next week, we are going to talk about how to achieve simple marketing attribution. This is gonna be a fun one. It's gonna be a really fun one. All right, I will leave you to it. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope this was helpful. I hope you learned something today. I hope this kind of like blew your mind a little bit, but also gave you some some like deep, <laughs> deep confidence is what I'm really hoping. But um, 
might have gotten a little bit of philosophical a little bit, but I hope it gave you some confidence uh, about analytics and about how to think about this and how to get your mind right when thinking about analytics. Because this is going to be the primer that we now take to start implementing some things, which we're going to talk about in the next episode. Thank you so much again for joining me. Bye. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. To learn more about how to reach your growth goals for your SaaS business, head on over to demandmaven.io. You'll find all kinds of free resources, articles, and content. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you on the next one.